So Ron would have not been governor if it wasn't for me. And- Let the battles begin. Donald Trump sounding off over the weekend on Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis today firing back. I roll out of bed. I have people attacking me from all angles. Not only did we win re-election, we won with the highest percentage of the vote that any Republican governor candidate has in the history of the state of Florida. Coming up in today's show, we've got all the details on the DeSantis-Trump battle. But first, California living up to its name, Hotel California. You can check in, but you can't check out. That's the idea behind the newest proposal being floated on the left coast. Can you believe that anybody would even consider Gavin Newsom the governor of that state as a potential contender in 2024 outside of the Democrats? They got some slim pickings because if they don't run Biden, who the heck are they going to run? I've said in the past that Gavin Newsom might be the answer, but with policies like this, clearly not. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve is gearing up for another rate hike. Quarter point is what they're talking about. Is this going to be enough? I don't think so. I do worry that we are going to have a case of financial Armageddon on our hands. And the IMF is out with its World Economic Outlook. It expects the global economy to grow 2.9% this year. That's up from its original prediction of 2.7%. I just don't see it happening. I really don't. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. I am Trish Regan. This is Trish Regan Show, portions of which are brought to you by Legacy Precious Metals. Go over to LegacyPMInvestments.com for your free investing guide today. Again, it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. I want to get to the Fed in just a second because that news is sort of hanging over the markets. It will be a big deal no matter what happens. I don't think they're going to do what they need to do. But before that... I just want to highlight something that's coming out of the left coast state of California, where that governor is being discussed as a possible contender in 2024 as a possible nominee from the Democrat Party. Gavin Newsom, absolutely absurd policies designed to only appeal to the extremists on the left, one of which is this thing I like to call full on Hotel California. It's actually an idea that is not unique to California because you've had lawmakers from seven other states, big ones, including Hawaii, Connecticut, New York, Illinois, Washington. They've all been out there introducing new ideas, new proposals for ways to tax the wealthy and not just the wealthy. I mean, these are working working wealthy. So there's a distinction in some ways. Anyway, this particular proposal comes from an assembly member in California named Alex Lee, who wants to introduce a new tax on what he calls extreme wealth. According to Mr. Lee, the counter argument that says the rich will just leave. Well, they're going to fix that because They can just say, hey, look, you guys can run, but you can't hide. Direct quote, you can run, but you can't hide. And he's proud of it. I mean, forget about what that might actually mean for anybody who wanted to start a business in California or start a life in California. I don't think you would because these people are going to chase you down. His proposal would apply to individuals with a net worth of $50 million or more, and they would tax the wealth at 1% annually. Wealth beyond $1 billion would be taxed at 1.5%. So the funny thing about this is 
he doesn't seem to realize there actually is a real difference between 1 billion and 50 million. Right? Not to mention that a lot of it is quote unquote wealth that is on paper, whether it be in stock options that have not been realized, whether it be in home valuations that may not continue. Anyway, he's looking at the whole thing. He thinks it's going to apply to 23,000 households because they've got a lot of people apparently with net worths of more than $50 million in the state of California. That would be 0.1% of this of the state and would raise $21.6 billion in revenue per year. Okay, whoop-de-doo, let's actually think this through. He thinks he's actually going to be able to keep the economy he has while simultaneously putting a tax like that on people? I mean, I'm sorry, it's been tried quite recently in France, actually. Oh, I see, but Representative Lee would argue the problem that France had was they let people leave. And we're not going to do that. Because if you leave the state of California for, say, Florida or Texas, where there's 0% income tax, or New Hampshire or Nevada, oh, we're going to chase you down. And you're going to be paying tax for the rest of your life. I'm sorry. I don't I don't think that's constitutional in any way and it would clearly be challenged, but the idea that Gavin Newsom, who is governor of that state, is not out there slamming down this ridiculous insane policy tells you everything you need to know about how radical the party has become. Democrats want to take everything they can from those who create And you need to remember that mentality that they have. You need to remember that they are big believers in wealth redistribution, not in wealth creation, but in the redistribution of wealth because, well, that's the only way you can make it fair. I do believe that a few communist societies have tried this before. Every single one, need I remind you, has failed. The other thing California's got going on is that the chairperson of the reparations committee, you know, even though California entered the union as a free state back in 1850, it is now considering reparations for slavery, thanks to a law that was signed by Governor Gavin Newsom during the whole Black Lives Matter movement back in 2020. And so this was some kind of, I guess, appeasement strategy that he has. Anyway, the chair of that reparations committee has been posting a whole bunch of tweets saying that she supports taxing the wealthy, supports raising estate and property taxes in order to pay reparations, that all that money needs to go to black Americans living in California. So um, the theory is they should each have $233,000 each. I'm just curious, does that go on like forever or is that a one-time payment? I wonder if new black Americans that are born in California, would they also qualify? Or if, if somebody moved to California, would you qualify for the 233000 And here's just another legit question. Does that get taxed? Probably not. I'm assuming it wouldn't. Anyway, um, the, the discussion is now becoming, is 233000 enough? Some in California, as you can imagine, believe, including the woman who's head of the committee, that it should be $1 million per person. Hey, like if I were a black American, I would want to hightail it to California so I could get my million bucks. I mean, 
honestly, it's just sad because, again, this is a state that entered the union as a free state. And you're talking about taxing people more that may have nothing to do with this, whose ancestors may have come here a generation ago, may have come here as recently as 10 years ago. But somehow they have to pay. It's a, it's a whole, you know, I'm not going to get into the can of worms. I don't even want to give it, frankly, the time of day because it's just such a horribly flawed argument from a constitutional perspective, from an economic perspective, from a political perspective. But this is what the Democrats are doing. They are trying to manipulate the population. They are trying to convince black Americans that this is the only way forward. And frankly, I I just find it pretty appalling. Instead of trying to give out handouts, why don't you actually do something for communities to encourage the values that have made American families so successful? In other words, values that embrace families, mother, father in a household, that embrace work, having a work ethic. It's so critical to success and community, safe community, religion. You know, religion does a lot of good stuff for a whole lot of people. The idea that the Democrats and the whole Black Lives Matter movement wants to shun all these things like the nuclear family or the role of religion Community is so critical, and we need more aspiration in so many of these communities as opposed to this idea that somehow you're a victim and the only way to really claim or get what you think you maybe do is to demand it. That's not the right approach. I I am a big believer in America being the place of equal opportunity where if you work hard, you have a decent shot at success. We need to ensure that for all communities, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, etc. That's gotten lost somehow, some way with all this political rhetoric designed to make people feel as though they are the victim and they cannot succeed unless there's some politician out there demanding reparations or demanding the Hotel California tax so that Anybody who is successful will forever be penalized by the state of California. I mean, this is absolutely nuts. And to think that Gavin Newsom is even being discussed as a candidate is pretty troubling. Another reason to really be thinking about your financials and doubling down on things that work. I'll tell you, Key City Capital, one of the great sponsors of this program, they are not investing, as far as I know, in California real estate. And I would say that's a good call under the circumstances Key City Capital, one of the advertisers here on the program, they are looking at ways that they believe may help offset the negative impacts of an inflationary environment. And they're doing this via real estate. You can check them out at keycitycapital.com forward slash Trish. For accredited investors, Key City Capital offers passive investments in cash flowing real estate that may help offer a hedge against all this inflation and all this stock market volatility. And that's because when prices rise, more couples and families delay home ownership. And given that Key City Capital owns thousands of rental units, Key City's investing team believes that the current environment does offer some attractive prospects for income and appreciation as more and more renters apply to live in their communities. So consider letting the team at Key City Capital help you try to grow your wealth and diversify your investment portfolio. For more information about whether Key City Capital's approach is the right one for you, just head over to keycitycapital.com forward slash Trish or call them directly at one 
817-912-1569. And if you speak with them, you are welcome to thank them for all the sponsorship of this show, which we bring to you free every day. Turning to the Federal Reserve, you know, Jerome Powell was pulling a kind of Gavin Newsom move of his own there as he printed continually boatloads of money. Six trillion plus dollars was printed between 2020, March 2020, and just about six months ago. I mean, they just kept this thing going. They just couldn't see. They couldn't see. They couldn't comprehend how inflation was not what they called transitory. I kept saying, you know, I was like a a broken record here on this program, I think, to anybody that was listening, even as far back as July and August of 2020, because my concern was you couldn't simultaneously have the Federal Reserve and the federal government printing that much money and not risk major inflation. Inflation is what we have right now. Everybody's encouraged because, oh, the CPE, the Consumer Price Expenditure Index that the Fed tracks, oh, it's just 5% now. I'm sorry, it's still 5%. In other words, prices are 5% higher than they were this time last year. The Fed is shooting for 2%. So how do we get to 2%? They're going to keep raising rates. They're not doing it quickly enough. They're not doing it fast enough. On Wednesday of this week, the Federal Reserve is expected to announce a quarter of a point of a hike in interest rates. It'll suck more money out of the economy, but by sort of prolonging this misery, this economic misery, they're going to make it harder for the economy to turn in the future. So be on the lookout for that. It means credit card rates are going up. It means mortgage rates are going up. It means car loan rates, they are all going up just as things continue to remain expensive. You have unemployment so really low at 3.5%. I don't think it's going to stay there that long, but it also complicates matters because wages Wages have not been moving, as one would think, high enough to keep up with the inflation. So we're we're in, in my view, a a stagflationary kind of environment that could turn really bad. It could turn bad if they don't get this one right, and I'm not convinced they will. I don't think the market is convinced they will, and we're already looking at data that suggests Americans are increasingly having a harder and harder time. 64% of Americans now living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have that savings built up as they once did, the Fed may say, hey, great, that'll lower inflation. I'm not sure it will. I think instead you're going to have still this inflationary environment coupled with a pullback in consumer spending, a harder time trying to find jobs, and still this sort of economic malaise that will lead to a recession in 2023. My concern and my question, though, is will it just be a recession because, hey, we can manage that, we can deal with that, Or will it be something much bigger? And I think at some point, it will become something much bigger. And that is simply because you cannot print your way to prosperity. You cannot have $31 trillion worth of debt and not expect some very serious consequences. The Federal Reserve was way too liberal in how they handled the rate environment, thereby enabling banks in the years preceding the 2008 catastrophe, thereby enabling these banks to take on more and more risk. Hey, by the way, you know, they're talking about bringing back Glass-Steagall. Clinton was the one who got rid of it. It was Bill Clinton's administration. I wonder how much lobbying from the financial sector went into that decision because Bill Clinton basically got rid of this rule that separated the investment banking and the commercial banking enterprises for years and years and years. I mean, they put this in following the Depression because they wanted to make sure 
that we had some protections in the system so that regular old mom and pop folks that were putting their savings and their deposits into a bank didn't actually see their assets being at risk. But leave it to Bill Clinton, who back in 1999 thought, oh, you know, why not just combine all the banks? I remember this. I was actually a Bloomberg reporter at the time in the year 2000, and you saw banks starting to merge and get bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, the traditional investment bank and the traditional consumer bank were all one. And that meant bigger profits, but it also meant that these banks had more access to capital because all those depositors, you know, that kept their bank accounts with the bank, well, all of that money could then be effectively played with. And that was one of the components, one of the many components. I blame the Fed, I blame the lawmakers, Barney Frank, thinking everybody deserved a mortgage, even if they had no proof of income, no assets, et cetera. There was a climate that just allowed and permitted too much risk thanks to bad policies from the federal government all around. Anyway, how does this relate to today? Other than they now want to bring back Glass-Steagall, which by the way they should, how does it relate to today? We had way too many liberal fiscal monetary policies, thereby allowing individuals and financial institutions to take on risks that they shouldn't. And the concern is, as things start to crater, as the economy starts to weaken, as people are unable to pay their bills, do we have a secure enough system in place so as to mediate some of this? I'm not convinced we do. And that is sort of worst case scenario, which we can talk about some more in the coming days and coming weeks. But it's one of the reasons why I hold gold in my portfolio. I've actually kind of always been a big believer in having gold in my portfolio. And it's one of the reasons why I encourage you to do this as well. And when you look at investing in gold, you should reach out to one of the great advertisers on this program to Legacy Precious Metals at 1-866-589-0560, 1-866-589-0560. I'd encourage you as well to listen to the program we did just a couple of weeks ago with Charles Thorngren. He's the CEO of the company, and he made a very valid point, which is that America's bankrupt. And if we were any other country, if we were any other business, if we were treated like a business, people would say, okay, you know, you guys are bankrupt because your debt to GDP ratio, it is so far out of control. You are not making enough money to really justify these kind of massive debt loads, upwards of $31 trillion. So it's one reason why you might, if you're someone like me that, you know, likes to basically make sure you uh, can sleep at night, you, you might want to look at something like gold. They also sell silver, of course, um, and a lot of people like to invest in silver, but I've just been a, a believer in gold because it's been around thousands of years, and that's kind of hard to argue with. And it helps to mitigate some of the volatility in the market, especially when you have any fear about international events. And I believe Mike Pompeo was just out saying recently that, that we need to be prepared for a potential coming war with China. I don't disagree with him. I think we do need to be prepared. As an investor, part of that preparation, at least for me, would include that gold in my portfolio. So let Legacy Precious Metals help you. They can assist you with a gold-backed IRA or get the real stuff and have it in your bank safe deposit box or some people even want it in their home. Look, you know, I get it. Someone was telling me the other day about how one of their bosses who was totally loaded, she was, was a super funny story, had kind of like a shelter somewhere. I guess this would be sort of like the bomb shelter, right? The, the place where you go when all hell really breaks loose. And she was remembering how she was a young associate at a pretty prominent 
investment house back in 08. And all these executives had places to go with lots of canned beans and lots of gold and lots of water. And she's like, wait a second, I don't have all that. Well, you know, very few people do. But again, in the interest of just, I think, being able to sleep well at night, having something like gold in your portfolio is relevant. So call them today or go get their free investing guide, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Anyway, I may be the most pessimistic here because apparently the IMF thinks that things are going to be okay. My fears of recession are not being echoed by the folks at the IMF. However, I would point out that generally the IMF tends to be behind the curve on some of these issues. I'm not entirely sure why, other than sometimes I think they're trying to spin a good narrative to make it all sound really good, but they typically are just wrong. Here is the rosy picture. They are becoming more positive because they have a higher expectation for growth projections for the year. Nonetheless, you know, because they have to couch everything. <laughs> Nonetheless, they are warning that higher interest rates, ding, 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 right? We're going to see from the Fed this week. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine could still weigh on activity. Yeah, you think, guys? Anyway, here's the report. The IMF is saying the global economy will grow 2.9% this year, which represents a whopping two-tenths of a percent improvement from the previous forecast they had back in October. However, that number would still mean a fall from an expansion of 3.4% in 2022. It also revised its projection for 2024 down to 3.1%. Look, I'll tell you, if you can have the world economy growing at 3% and change, I'd be pretty happy with that. I don't think it's going to happen. They are looking at China, for example, and they're saying that because China's economy is reopening after all those COVID lockdowns, then that actually will contribute to a higher global growth scenario. A weaker U.S. dollar, they also pointed out, has brightened some of the prospects for emerging market countries that held uh, debt in foreign countries. But I don't think, but that one I'm not totally buying, only because it's weaker for us, right? I mean, it's weaker for us. We don't have the same purchasing power that we used to. But still on the international scale, where else are you going to go in these scary times? I would expect that the dollar will still continue to strengthen, which makes inflation even harder in these emerging market countries. Because their currencies, in comparison, are so lousy, right? They, they're, they're lousy to begin with. Now they're even more lousy because of all the interest rate hikes that the Federal Reserve is putting into the system. So consequently, the U.S. is having a big effect on the global economy. I don't think they're going to get this 3% growth and change. I don't think they're going to get it. We shall see. I will say this. One person that keeps me very optimistic. I can't call him a person, right? <laughs> one, one little being that keeps me optimistic about my future happens to be my dog, Fluffy, that I talk about almost every day, actually just every day on this program, because we have a wonderful company that we're aligned with here on the show. One of our advertisers called Rough Greens and Rough Greens was started by a naturopathic doctor, Dr. Dennis Black, who's a former army ranger. He's a former Vietnam era helicopter pilot. He is just a, a tremendous guy who cares so passionately about health for human beings and also health for dogs. And he makes the point rightly so that, you know what? We gotta look out for these little creatures. We've gotta look out for all of these wonderful dogs. They mean so much to us. So he has two big dogs. I have my little Fluffy, but I have been giving Fluffy now 
for a number of months a supplement that he made called Rough Greens, and it gives him all the probiotics he needs and digestive enzymes, all these vitamins. I mean, gosh, I mean, you look at this thing and you're like, my goodness, anybody who takes this would be a picture of health. But this is formulated specifically for dogs, and it has made a big difference in my dog's life. I'd love to see it make a big difference in your dog's life. So if you have a dog, make sure you go check this out. You can go to Rough R-U-F-F greens.com forward slash Trish, my name, roughgreens.com forward slash Trish. And this is how you can get your free jumpstart trial bag sent right to your home. Dr. Black is offering this free jumpstart trial bag to fans of this program and see how you like it. All you have to do is pay for shipping. It is well worth a try. I know I've seen a really wonderful turnaround in Fluffy in terms of his appetite, in terms of his allergies. So all of that makes me happy. Clearly, he heard his name called. Anyway, go to Rough Greens. You get it? Rough, R-U-F-F, greens.com forward slash Trish today for your free Jumpstart trial back. Another story that I want to touch on in this show, in part because of what we discussed just yesterday, which was that Ron DeSantis really was nowhere to be found in New Hampshire. Donald Trump, on the other hand, making the rounds there in Salem, New Hampshire, moving on to South Carolina just over the weekend. Ron DeSantis has been in Florida. He has stuck to a lot of the social issues, which clearly, clearly resonate with the base. However, he has not expanded to some of the economic ones some of the national security ones that I think would be so vital if he really wants to jump onto that national stage. Anyway, he endured a few sort of, you know, shade-like remarks from Donald Trump over the weekend, including this. So Ron would have not been governor if it wasn't for me, and that's okay. Uh, And uh, number one, he wouldn't have gotten the nomination. And number two, he wouldn't have beaten uh, his Democrat opponent. So then when I hear he might run, you know, I consider that very disloyal, but it's not about loyalty. But to me, it is. It's always Ron DeSantis doubled down. He came out (laughs) swiping at Trump. Listen to what he had to say today. I roll out of bed. I have people attacking me from all angles. It's been happening for many, many years. And if you look at the good thing about it, though, is like if you take a crisis situation like COVID, you know, the good thing about it is when you're an elected executive, you have to make all kinds of decisions. You've got to steer that ship. And the good thing is, is that the people are able to render a judgment on that, whether they reelect you or not. And I'm happy to say, you know, in my case, not only did we win reelection, we won with the highest percentage of the vote that any Republican governor candidate has in the history of the state of Florida. So once again, it looks as though the stage is being set for a Trump versus DeSantis primary. It will be an uphill battle for DeSantis. But one of the things that he will highlight and that he can legitimately run on is that he defied so many governors throughout the country and he kept his state open. I always said that the biggest mistake the Trump administration was making was shutting down the economy in that you needed a strong economy. If you were going to fight this thing, you need to protect the people you need to protect. But you also needed to be realistic about life continuing to go forward for everyone else. That is something that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, did do quite successfully. And he will highlight over and over and over again whether or not it gets him to the finish line in terms of the primary remains to be seen. But I think... We are seeing that the battle lines are being drawn. 
will be an interesting one to watch. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Go to trishintel.com to subscribe to my newsletter, and we will talk tomorrow.